Welcome, and thank you for joining Detroit Church's Greatest Adventure Bible Study Podcast, where we take a moment to get a little deeper into biblical understanding and ask those burning questions through engagement, teaching, facilitated discussion, and group interaction. You are more than welcome to follow along with us through this journey at DetroitChurch.com backslash trending and click on the Greatest Adventure Bible Study link. It is good to see you guys again on another Lord's Day Wednesday night. I pray that you have had uh, an awesome week. I'm grateful that we can uh, uh, do Bible study on hump day. Uh, You know, Lord willing to uh, get us through uh, the rest of the week. If your week has been anything like uh, my week, then I am doubly glad you are here because it's been that kind of a week. Uh, You know, I I wish the uh, Christian faith would uh, guarantee us that we would have no crazy weeks, no, uh, no, no days where everything goes wrong, uh, you, you know, but then we wouldn't know about grace because that's when you find out you need it the most. Uh, so I'm grateful. I've had to remind myself and talk to the Lord, you know, Lord, I'm still rolling with you, but this sucks. Uh, you know, that's what I said in my prayer. You know, things you never think you're going to say in your prayer. Uh, <laughs> this really sucks, Lord. But, uh, you know, a little bit of extra grace, please, is uh, what I was praying for. And that's why he's giving it. So I'm grateful to be here on tonight. Pray for the rest of the team, pastors on the East Coast. And uh, Meg is on the West Coast of Michigan. Uh, you know, she's hanging out at your school today. Uh, your, 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 yeah, your alma mater. Uh, yeah, she sent me a text. Uh, she, she connected with Josh. Uh, so, you know, the team is scattered all throughout the land. So pray. Uh, for those who are far away and those who are near. Uh, we're going to uh, traipse on over into Galatians chapter 3 tonight. Not quite halfway we are. Uh, we got to get through chapter 3. And uh, tonight our goal is to make it halfway, uh, roughly, through that journey. Uh, I don't know if we're going to make it. We're going to see. I'm going to try. Uh, you know, I'm ready. But uh, it's a lot of material. This chapter is thick with a lot of stuff. So, uh, we're going to have a work, quick word of prayer, and then we're going to dive right in uh, with that opening question. Are there any questions? So let's pray. Father God, we do bless your name. We thank you so much, oh God, for another day that you have granted each one of us, God, another Wednesday you've allowed us to grace the doors of this wonderful church, oh God. And Lord, since you brought us this far, my prayer, God, is that you would meet with us here. Lord, that you would enlighten our minds, that we might understand your word, that you would enliven our hearts, oh God, that we might be receptive to your word, that you would empower our limbs, that we might be doers of your word and not hearers only. We invite you to have your way with us on tonight, O Holy Spirit, we pray. And then, Father, we also pray for those who are yet on the way that you would get them safely here. O Lord, bless our brothers and sisters, God, who are not uh, in the same locale as us. Keep them safe and give them journeys, mercies as well, we pray. We ask all this and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Galatians chapter 3 tonight, we're headed into the next chapter of our text and a major division of our outline. If you have your uh, toolkit with you, you can kind of see where we are in our outline. And this is a major division. We have just finished the first major division, which was, um, shoot, I need to see myself. If anybody needs one, uh, I would take self-serve tonight, come grab one. Um, So the next, the first major division was the gospel of grace defended. All right. Uh, the second major division is the gospel of grace explained. And this is going to take us all the way through chapter four 
uh, in the text. And we're going to go through some of the, a couple of minor divisions in our outline as well on tonight as we deal with the Holy Spirit uh, and how he has been given, as well as some other elements. And I'll make note of those as we cross over into each one. Um, Paul leaves the conversation uh, with Peter that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And that scene behind and again directly addresses the Galatian believers. As we saw on Sunday, he does not do so with flowery words, but with words of what I'll call stern contemplation. Uh, you know, his response to them is to teach them via questioning them about what they have learned about several things regarding the spirit. He asked them six questions across six verses, all aimed at pulling them back from abandoning the truth of the gospel. And so that's where we're going to begin our journey on tonight, looking at these six questions across these first six verses. And so let's take a look, uh, if you would. Galatians chapter 3. Notice how Paul begins. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We're going to stop there because in those six verses, you see the six questions. Make sure you track with them. Uh, and so we, we really see Paul using a different teaching methodology uh, in this particular set of six verses here. Uh, and questioning is a teaching methodology. Jesus used it. You know, who do men say that I am? Right? You, you know, and so uh, it's not that Jesus needed that information. Uh, you, you know, he was already aware of it. And so there's a reason when questions are being asked by the person up front, uh, there's a reason. All right? And it's not that they are, are, you know, it may be a pop quiz. It might be. All right? But it's certainly not for their own edification. Right? Is what we'll have to uh, keep in mind. So with that being said, let's go back to verse one as we take a look at this first question uh, where Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians. The word, uh, you know, now it's, much, it's interesting and I suspect at least, oh, I'm sorry, I'm messing up, I'm messing up. Uh, Y'all was going to let me mess up. Uh, are there any questions from Sunday? Now, I heard that Pastor Fonz is going to be here tonight. All right, now, you know, if, if he's not, it gives me reason to, 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 to crack on him. Because uh, he was scared to come in early, so he could field his own questions. But I did, uh, while we were away, I did look at the sermon. So I, I listened intently at my brother. So are, are there any questions from Sunday? All right, all right. Kim? Well, okay, all right, all right. Eli? All right, all right. Well, I'll tell him that he, he had uh, six really good questions uh, <laughs> when he gets in uh, that he's going to have to answer uh, in writing. All right. Now we can go back to it. Oh, foolish Galatians. Foolish here. If, if you're wondering now, some of you may be uh, wondering because you're good Bible students that Jesus specifically told the disciples at one point in time, don't call your brother a fool. Right. You, you know, or say, or say Raka, you know, to him. Uh, and I forget exactly where that reference is. Uh, so I was expecting at least somebody to come in and say, hey, Pastor Flynn, is this a contradiction uh, in the text? Or at the very least, has Paul 
You know, because Paul wasn't a disciple at that point in time, so maybe he missed that lesson from Jesus, you know, what not to say uh, as he calls these Galatians out, uh, you, you know. And so is this one of those moments where we see the apostle uh, violating uh, scriptures previously given? All right. You, you know, as I see lots of heads shaking. Now, what we're clear on is that he does say, oh, foolish Galatians. No argument there. And we're equally clear that Jesus said, don't call your brother a fool. So with those two degrees of clarity, as my mother shakes her head, why is this not a biblical contradiction? Why is this not, mother? You know, like if she's mad at somebody and you just say, you fool, you calling him a name. Uh-huh. You know? um, but a person's actions can be foolish okay. without you name calling, you um, speaking more to what they're doing okay. as foolishness. And so you would say you know, that like, Paul's statement falls into that latter like category and they, not him calling them fools. Right. All right. All right. All right. Somebody, oh, honey, oh, she's passing the mic to you. Like, you, all right, give it, back to, give it back to that brother. Give it back to that brother. And I would agree. All right. I, I would agree with, with my mother's uh, uh, statement on it. It sounded like conjecture, but she landed in a good spot. All right. That uh, Paul is not, yes, ma'am. All right. Uh, you got to be on. Yeah, yeah brother. You, you didn't watch me last week when I was doing run all that run around when Meg did it. You know, get your steps in. Um, so I remember on Sunday, um, the pastor was talking about, he actually pointed out, he said, um, even though it sounds like he's insulting them, um, he said foolish there had a different meaning. I yes. don't have my notebook with me to, like, I'm kind of coming from and around, so I don't have my notebook, but I remember him saying that foolish, kind of like how she was saying, had to do with their actions. Mm -hmm. I think he said something like, kind of like, who led you astray kind of thing. Right, right, right. So I remember him saying, like, pointing that out, saying it's not an insult, it's more so kind of like, okay, why are you allowing yourself to be led astray? So that's you. so he I remember him um talking about that. I will make sure to tell Fine that you were listening intently. Uh he will be very happy to hear that. Uh and she is right in this case. The word here uh literally means not understanding or unwise, right? Uh in the way that uh Paul uses it. And, and so when he makes the declaration, oh foolish Galatians, he does follow it up with a question. So he's saying, oh, unwise. Uh, and it's the height of a lack of wisdom to fall away from the truth. Right? So, so we need to understand. They are falling away or walking away or being led away or allowing themselves to be led away from the truth. And that is a foolish proposition. All right? Uh, and so it's okay to call something foolish when it is, in fact, foolish. Right? And so his first question is simply this, who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? And as I was studying, I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about just in times in my life as I've known good Christians who got their eggs scrambled is a phrase you'll hear me say uh, quite frequently. Uh, you know, I'm wondering, who are you listening to that, that you allowed to scramble your eggs, right? You know, because when you left here, it, they were all whole. Everything was good. You come back and you got all kinds of questions and, and now you're, you got doubts about things you shouldn't have doubts about. And, and so Paul asked them that, that question, right? 
uh, you, you know, the way he said it there, who has bewitched you, right? And this word bewitched, it, it literally means to bring evil on one by feigned praise or an evil eye or to, to charm one, right? We might even say it to seduce, pull you away seductively, if you would. Huh? Isn't there a scripture in, Cor in Corinthians where uh, it says God has cho chosen the foolish things of the world mm -hmm. to confound the wise? Right. And I think that's the same sense that Paul is using here, isn't it? Right? Um, I would say, well, the words may be the same. I'm not sure if they're the same in Greek. Um, you know, but, but God doing something that supersedes human reason and understanding is different than humans doing something that defies God's standards, you know, or his statements to us for us to follow, right? And so, so don't marry those two together as if it, it's a, a good thing to do something foolish because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, which would be human wisdom versus... Right, right. Well, yes, human wisdom would say it's foolish, but this is not Paul using human wisdom to say that what they're doing is foolish. It's him using godly wisdom to say that what they're doing is foolish. So it's an inverted, it's an inverted situation here from what we see in Corinthians. You with me? All right, all right. So, so uh, he says, who has uh, bewitched you, Right. Um, who he goes on to say it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, right? Now, keep in mind, so for all these questions, there's never a pause for anybody to give an answer. So Paul's intent is not to engage them in discussion about why they did what they did. His, his intent is to shock them, really, back into a right rhythm, if you would, by asking these uh, pointed questions, right? Uh, you, you know, and so it, imagine you are thinking that you're, you know, getting more enlightened. And somebody comes along and says, oh, foolish Detroiters, who has bewitched you? Now, Fonz used, uh, you know, quoted Malcolm X. He talked about, you know, hoodwinked and bamboozled, uh, you, you know, in this bewitching uh, kind of a sense there. And, and it's true. I agree with his use of those words because that's exactly what happens when somebody comes along and we allow them to scramble our eggs. You, you know, we get hoodwinked. We get bamboozled, right? We, we are, the, the truth is obscured uh, from us. And, and we can begin to stray from the path uh, that we were previously on, right? And, and so Paul reminds them of something. Right. He says it was before your eyes. All right. And, and, and eyes here metaphorically speaks in the judgment of one. All right. Or in the in the view. Right. Uh, that Christ was publicly portrayed to publicly depicted to uh, openly. So this wasn't a backroom discussion that we had. We've been telling you this stuff openly, which means it was open for consideration. It was open for uh, discussion. It was open for you to fact check it and do all of these kinds of things. Right. What was it? Was it doctrine? No, it was, it was about who Christ is, what he did, and what it meant, right, uh, is what Paul was saying. And he speaks specifically about the crucifixion right here, which is exactly what, what that means. And so this is the first nugget of truth that Paul reminds them of, that 
Jesus's mission, right? What he did on the cross, what it meant uh, for you was given to you openly, right? Who have you allowed to pull you away from the truth of the salvation process, right? Who have you allowed to come in and, and do that, right? He goes into verse two and he, he begins, he, he sets up the second course and he says, let me ask you only this, all right? Uh, he says, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith, right? He says here, did you uh, receive, which literally means to receive what is given, uh, to gain, to get, or obtain, right? Uh, here the spirit speaks of the Holy Spirit, right? Works, we're going to see, we're going to see a series of words repeatedly throughout these first 14 verses. Now, I don't want that to make you lazy in your study, though, because I almost got lazy in mine. Now, some of them will not mean the same thing when you see them again, all right? And some of them will not mean the same thing as the two previous times you saw them, right? And so uh, as you're doing your word study uh, on your own, make sure that you always go back, uh, check, check the text, check to see you know what things mean, especially in light of a larger context. Works here, all right, if I go and take you guys back to chapter 2, verse 16, which was, uh, I argue, one of the deepest verses in that chapter. Uh, really, we got a bridge from chapter 2, verse 16, straight to where we are right now. Everything that he talked about in chapter 2, verse 16, he brings back again, right, including some of the same vocabulary here. And so we saw what works meant then. Law still means the same thing that it meant in verse 16 and verse 19, if you were not with us, uh, works speaks of those works done uh, under the law, right, to, uh, to uh, fulfill the law and to be blessed by God. Ultimately, in, your, in the thinking, works done uh, to garner favor of God or blessing of God, right? A law speaking of the Mosaic law, right? He says, uh, how, how did you receive this, this spirit, all right? Uh, did you do it by works of the law or was it by hearing of faith? Hearing, speaking here of instruction, oral instruction, right? Specifically the preaching of the gospel, right? Now we may remember Romans. Romans says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? And so it's that same kind of hearing, hearing the declared word uh, concerning Christ and, and his gospel, his crucifixion, death, burial, right? Uh, and faith here. Uh, this hearing of faith, uh, instruction concerning the necessity of faith. In reference to Christ, it denotes a strong and welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. And so uh, Paul says, uh, you know, how did you get in? Did you get in by works or did you get in by hearing the gospel uh, of faith in Christ, right? He, he asked them this question, and again, not giving them time to answer, but I am going to pause and, and uh, uh, have us just to think about this second question for a moment. Why do you think Paul asked them this? Why do you think Paul asked them this? You, you know, as, I mean, he takes it all the way back to the, the beginnings, if you would, of this church, even all right, Galatians chapter 3, we're in verse 1 right now. Uh, you know, any, any thoughts on that? Why does Paul ask them this? I get the first question, who bewitched you, right? You know, what, what took your train off the tracks? I get that question, right? But this question of, you know, how, how did, 
Give me your origin story, all right? If, you know, I know Eli and a bunch of us like a good comic book story. You know, and the first comic book story is always an origin story, right? You have to tell how this person came to be, right? And so he takes them back to their Christian origin story. Why? Why, why do you think Paul takes them back to their Christian origin story? Anybody with thoughts on that? Well, if you got no thoughts, I got some thoughts. It's all good. Kim? All right, all right. Um, I would just guess that, you know, when all this stuff is going on, and just like in our lives, we kind of have to settle down and get back to the basics and the simplicity of what, what got this all started. And I think that's why Paul was just taking them back. So, like, what was real? Mm-hmm. You know, what made the definitive change in your life, mm. you know? And, and so if they cut out, to cut out all the fluff, right, cut out all the noise and, like, what made the difference? Okay. You know, so that's what I would probably okay. think. Okay, all right, all right. Anybody else? Any other theological conjectures? I'm asking y'all to step on out there. It's a scary place to be. I know, I know. It's all right. Let, let, let me give you mine. Uh, I argue that he asked them essentially to explain their own spiritual experience, or at least to contemplate their own spiritual experience. In other words, he asked them to give a rationale for their testimony, right? Uh, you know, to, to give a rationale. Now, let's take a quick look at how they got here, right? Somebody grab Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, we're going to read verses 19 through 21. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to 21. Eli, if you got it already, I'll let you read it. Save you some steps on this. Give you a break. It's important. I don't want to, you know, get the union on my head. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 to 21. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. So now, this, this is the beginnings of the Antiochian church that is getting spoken to right now. And some members who got saved there in Antioch were Galatian came back from where they were to, came back home, settled, settled in, told what happened. Now, if you were paying attention to the story, you would notice what wasn't said, that, you know, they told them they had to be followers of the law, uh, and they believed, and great things happened, right? And, you know, God moved or whatnot, right? Uh, the Hellenists, if you were, you didn't, we've used that word before, so hopefully you guys are still tracking with me. Hellenists were uh, the Greeks, all right, whether they were Greek in nationality or just Greek in culture, all right, because the Greek culture predominates this whole area, all right, and so these are Greek-speaking folks. That's the, the language of the Mediterranean at that point in time, right? And so these folks got saved there, traveled back here, and this is their origin story, right? Now, some of these folks in Acts 11 are no doubt in the crowd that Paul is speaking to. Now, my answer to Uh, The question I gave to y'all is that Paul is asking them this question in order to remind them where they came from and how they got here. It's important uh, to uh, inquire of folks where they came from, or at least to bring their mind back to it, and to ask them how they got here. God saved some people somewhere else, 
Then God sent those people here, and then God caused an intersection to happen where they heard what God did. He did a work on their hearts, and they believed, and then received the Holy Spirit. That's what happened, right? If I was to summarize what we just read in Acts, right, I, I would summarize that, right? Some folks got saved in Jerusalem, went to Antioch, right? They went up there and shared. Some folks heard what they shared. They believed, got saved. They left, went back home. They shared. Right? This, this intersection happens, right? It's the exact same way you and I got saved, right? Some folks got saved somewhere else, right? And maybe they moved or whatever and, you know, printed something, whatever, right? And, and God caused an intersection to happen, right, between us and them somehow, some way. All right, we heard it, right? We believed and voila, and prayerfully we move about and have intersections, right? And so forth and so on. The process continues. You guys with me so far? Now, Paul needed them to remember how little they had to do with the process. Right? And, and this is important. This is vital uh, that they remember how little they had to do with the process. Right? Because we can start thinking, you know, uh, I'm pretty important in the kingdom of God. You, you, you know, I mean, this thing might fall apart if, if I don't show up, right? You, you, you know, if I don't do what I do, right? And I hope that you never allow yourself to, to get to that space where you're thinking of yourself as a big eye in the kingdom. Ain't but one, right? You, you know, all, all of us was poor, wretched sinners, you know, saved, saved by grace. No big eyes. I don't care where God ascends you to in, in position or responsibility or role. All right, we're still just little use, uh, if you would. And we had very little to do with anything about where we happen to be. All right, the only way you have anything major to do with where you happen to be is if you messed up royally. Right, so if you backslide, it was your fault. You, you, you know, you wreck your marriage, it's your fault. You completely fall apart and do a bunch of crazy stuff, it was your fault. All right, God had very little to do with that, because he was trying to say, hey, stop, don't go there, don't do that, you know. So if it's bad, it's mostly our fault, right? We can say, God, it's your fault, you should have stopped me. But he said, hey, you know what, if I stop you every time it's your fault, you'd be dead a long time ago. You wouldn't even made it into the kingdom, right? If he stayed. So we really don't want God to stop us every time we're about to do something foolish, because we would probably not make it out the house most days, right? You know, y'all y'all head bobbing. You know, it's, a, it's an absolutely true statement, all right? Uh, we see very few times in Scripture where God intervenes directly in the path of a believer to stop them from messing up their life. It has happened. It does happen. It's an infrequent thing. He stopped uh, the Egyptian from sleeping with Sarah. Stopped it, right? You, you, you know, now Abraham blew it with that lie, so he set his wife up for that. So God... Swung in to preserve what he was, what he was trying to do. But that, you, you know, he, he didn't stop a whole bunch of other stuff where somebody was going to sleep with somebody. He didn't stop David. I bet you David was wishing he had stopped him. You, you, you know, he, he didn't stop you. He didn't stop me from some of our foolishnesses, right? You know, so it, it doesn't happen no matter how much we might pray, God, please don't let the car start up. Otherwise, I'm going to go over her house. Right, right. I'm going to go over his house. I'm going to go there. Right, you know, some of us, us have prayed that prayer. We said, God, it was all your fault. If you had just not let the car start, I never would have got into that. You, you know, he said, no, no, it was on you. You chose, and I let you choose, right, because you wouldn't have learned no other way. Now, we got to keep it moving. 
Um, so, again, Paul wants them to realize how little they had to do with the process. Seemingly waiting for an answer, Paul asked two more deeply introspective questions in the next verse as we go into verse 3. And I see Pastor Fonz has crept in. Uh, bro, they have three really good questions for your sermon that I couldn't answer, so we're going to have you come up in the last 10 minutes and answer all those questions. He's leaving with the baby to go check. <laughs> we didn't have no questions, bro. Uh, we, we, we handled it. You ain't got it. Don't, don't run away. Uh, he goes into verse 3 here. Are you so foolish? Ask that question again, right? Uh, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Two questions, one verse here, right? Are you so, so very? is what this actually means. It's, 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 it's an intensive here. Uh, again, same word, foolish here, not understanding. Are you so unwise, right? Um, he asks, and then he says, having begun, right? So again, we're going back to the origin story. Uh, you know, having started this way, what way? By the Spirit, right? The Spirit of God moved upon your heart back there then, Right? And, and, and broke your heart and, and made you be able to see and understand and, and place, place faith uh, in, in the gospel of Christ, right? And, and so ha- having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected? This word perfected is an interesting word, all right? It means to make an end for oneself, i.e. To, to leave off so as to give yourself up to the flesh, right? To, to stop with it, to rest in it, all right? Really, really heavy definition uh, as I think about how Paul is challenging them, right? And so consider what's going on. Flesh here uh, means to make for oneself an end by devoting oneself to the flesh, right? I.e. by, listen to here, to, by gradually losing the Holy Spirit and giving oneself up to the control of the flesh. And, and it doesn't look like this is that, that kind of a situation because normally I would think of a fleshly situation like, you know, I went to the strip joint or I did something you know, sensual or sexual, but not every uh, indulgence in the flesh has anything to do with something sensual or sexual. Uh, and any indulgence of the flesh is simply to not allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. And so as soon as I not follow the Holy Spirit, I'm indulging the flesh automatically, right? And, and so when, when Paul says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? He, he's saying, basically... I'm saying, God, thank you for what you did over there. I'll take over. Uh, I got it from here, right? And, and that's, that sentiment, that mentality that I got it from here is a, a, an indulgence in the flesh, a devotion to the flesh. I mean, it's really quite stark uh, what's actually happening, even if a person doesn't feel like that's what's actually happening. Because often when we just go a little bit off the tracks, we think, I'm not doing that much. It's not that bad. Right? You, you know, and when you have to put that in front of it, you've already lost the fight. You, you know, that much or that bad, right? You, you know, it's not so wrong. You, you, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's so how much wrong does it have to be before it's so wrong? Right? You know, how far off the tracks you got to go before it's called a derailment? Right, you, you know, now, if you, I don't know if you've seen train tracks. They're only two inches thick. Two inches. Holds several hundred tons train supported by two-inch strips of metal. Right, and so the train gets one inch off the track. It, it, it's, there, there's not much that anybody's going to be able to do 
to get the train back on the track. It's just a matter of how bad the devastation is going to be once it departs one inch off the track. You, you know, uh, I'm going to be geeky right now with you guys really quick because, you know, I get to show off my math teacher stuff every now and then. If your pilot in your plane is off by one degree, by the time you land, you're 50 miles away from where you should be. He's only off by one degree. But that puts you not walking distance. Right? I was, I was, you know, I meant to go to Detroit. I ended up in Toledo. I had no more money. <laughs> you, you, you know, I'm 50 miles away because he was off by a degree. Now, that's not to put pressure on us to strive to be perfect, but that is to put pressure on us to do our very best to, to follow, to be obedient to Christ and not give ourselves over to indulgences of the flesh that in our minds seem quite harmless. Because we don't have to be off by much to be off by much. Right? You guys with me? Now, uh, let, let's pause for another minute. A lot of pause in the day. You're going to hear me say this. Uh, to really think about what Paul is, is saying here. What is the mindset that Paul is attacking here? Uh, I'll argue that he's attacking the mindset that we can engineer our own sanctification. This is the mindset that I would argue that Paul is attacking, that we can improve ourselves outside of divine effort. Right? That we can, now, we got lots of self-help books out there, 21 ways to do this and 12 ways to do that, you, you, you know, and laws to do this and all of that. Lots of self-help books. Even in this age, it's still one of the largest selling genres of, of books out there, right? Uh, and for, unfortunately, Christians get sucked up uh, into that, right? The question I would ask you, is it true that we can improve ourselves outside of divine effort? Is it true? That's not the question. My mother says it's superficial. Is it true that we can, that, that, that we can improve ourselves outside of divine effort? Can we actually improve ourselves outside of divine effort? Is it a true statement? So y'all say yes. Okay, now, so, so follow that up with a clarification. Oh, you got a question. There's this whole row right here, brother. All right. My wife said yes. I'm waiting to hear her thoughts. Kim got a question. I just was wondering, like, improve ourselves in what context? I don't want to give you a context right now. Oh, Pastor Flynn. You said context is everything. It is, biblically speaking. (laughs) So I'm just saying, like, okay, if you want to do something... Like you want to say, I want to learn a marathon, right? Okay. You can, through human effort, do that. Okay. I mean, I don't know, though, because really oh, God's Oh, man, look at divine, the wheels turning. God is... The wheels is turning we now. We don't do anything without uh-huh. the Lord, really. So now, I don't know where you are right now, no, I mean, because you could have something happen. I mean, you don't... It's God's grace resting no, on no, us No, no, I understand what you're saying, but you haven't answered my question, so I don't know well, where you are. I mean, if I think of it like that, I would say no. Okay, so you started off as yes, it's true, but now you're saying no, it's not true. I started off as context, now I'm like, Okay, so pass that mic on down, because I want to see what the next powerhouse got to say. Well, I say yes, but it doesn't mean that you improve yourself for eternity. Okay. You can improve yourself for the here and now. Okay, in a temporal kind of way. Okay, okay. Give me an example. You go get your hair done. (laughs) Amen. Okay. Get cosmetic all right. surgery, you know, all, all those right. type of okay. Okay. efforts, lose weight. Yes. Okay. All right. All Go right. get training and, and get more knowledge for a job. All right. You know, all those things. All right. That all right. Are Learn how to different. play the piano, my mama said. Okay. All right. Any other thoughts on it? 
Anyway, I know you see y'all scared over here. I'm not trying to track y'all. You got one back there, bro. Oh, I got one up here. Yes, sir. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. All right, I appreciate the verse. Let's answer the question. So the answer is no. Answer is no. All right, all right. And my sister back here. So, so far, let me make sure I, I got a yes. I got a, 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 a soft no or a hard no. I got a hard no and I got a... Okay, so um, a couple things for me. So, um, and I feel like this is a question that we have in culture a lot mm-hmm. because a lot of people feel like they can achieve their higher self and grow. But So people want to be spiritual without... And so um, I think it's two things. So one, I think improvement is relative. So not literally, but um, contextually. So like I feel like it depends on what the person defines as improvement. Okay. Um, So there's a lot of people who go to college. There's a lot of people who set goals and achieve them. And to them, they're improving. Right. But is that really improvement? And then also... Yeah, I think it's really the definition of improvement because I feel like a lot of people achieve a lot of goals and they do a lot of things and on the outside they look like they're improving. Gotcha. But the reality is without Christ, we're still, you know what I'm saying? Like we're broken. And so I don't really feel like, honestly, I don't think that we're really improving. If you get down to it, I think that it's more superficial, like the hairstyle, like putting nail polish on a fungus nail without okay. treating it and oh, without goodness. healing wow. it. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, that's a word picture. I'm, I'm seeing it. <laughs> so I feel yeah. like, I just feel like um, it, because if we're not a new creation, you know what I'm saying? Gotcha. I feel gotcha. like it, it is, it's all superficial. So I just feel like when I see like my peers and like people around, they're doing big things. They're making money. They're, yeah. They seemingly have the ideal life, but... Gotcha. You know, but they're still, they're not, you know. So I feel like when they... Are you going a long way around the block to tell me no? No, I don't. Yeah, I, I guess so. But you don't, I, you don't sound like you, like yeah, you really want to just say really no because that's too harsh. No, I just feel like it's important. <laughs> I just feel like that's what I was thinking when you asked the question. I felt like all of that was relevant. Okay. So um, my, I guess my, I guess what I'm saying is... It depends on what you define as improvement. Because if we're talking about context, then that's important. So is improvement um, looking better or is improvement like... Being better. Yeah. Okay. So all right. All right. I think it depends on the meaning because a lot of people I got feel... You. I yeah, got you. People I got might you. feel like they're improving. So. All right. All right. I got you. I got you. So, so you are, your jury is out depending on what I say next. <laughs> Got you, got you, got you. All right, all right. Thank you, guys, for, for taking a shot at that. I had the same wrestling, Kim. Uh, Jerry? No, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I, I went through a period where I, I started uh, learning and, and, and doing the keto diet, <clears throat> exercising on a very regular basis, and uh, all of those things were good, but, but I was doing them, mm-hmm. and in reality, what I found out I mean, my health fell apart, it, and, and, and I realized that the Lord was showing me that it was all idolatry. Mm. Nothing in themselves were, were bad, but he needs to be the center of it all. Okay. And I, I, I can still put the same effort, but making sure that he's the, the center of it, that I'm listening to him, and I'm, I'm doing whatever specifically he wants, 
versus just being about making myself a better person because he showed me, at least in my situation, that most of that good stuff was idolatry because I put it in a place that belonged to him. Gotcha, gotcha. So, you, you know, the six-pack was more important to you than it needed to be. I, I got it, I got it. Now, I, um, my, my answer, uh, and, and I, Kim, I was right there with you. I did some surfing because my immediate answer was, well, yeah, sure. You know, you can go to school, get a degree, or you can do that. And then I said, well, no, no, no. So, you know, I was at war with myself, so you guys will get to find out where I landed at and why I landed there. Uh, can we improve ourselves outside of divine effort? The answer is yes and no. Uh, yes, I can lose weight. I can get smarter or make more money or follow a system of external control, but no... I can't make myself a qualitatively better person. Certainly not in any way that impresses God, right? And so no matter how much money I make or if I get the six-pack or if I get an extra degree, none of these things are impressive to God, right? You, you know, on their face. Uh, you, you know, they, they, they have their space in our culture and world. And certainly if I'm trying to be more healthy because I'm trying to be a better steward, of my temple so I can do more for the Lord for a longer period of time is a great motivation for that. But if I just want to look good so I can come to church and wear a muscle tee so y'all can see, you, you know, that, yeah, I've really been doing my thing, right? You, you know, that's a whole nother thing, right? You, you know, so we want to be very careful there. Um, what does Jesus think of self-improvement? Well, let me tell you what Jesus thinks of self-improvement because I'm really glad you asked this question. Take a quick look. All right, somebody turn to Isaiah 64, 6. Somebody turn to Ezekiel 33, 13. Somebody turn to 1 Corinthians 4, 7. All right, all right. I, I was going to repeat them again. All right, and lastly, somebody turn to John 15, 5. The first one, Isaiah 64, 6. The second one, Ezekiel 33, 13. The third one, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. And the last one, John 15, 5. Who has Isaiah 64, 6? Who's got that one? Right up here, Eli. Okay, so it reads, But we are all as unclean things, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Okay, so Isaiah covers all of the stuff that we think is really good, right? You know, I'm going to Bible study now. Praise God. You know, I joined the praise team. Praise God. I quit smoking, drinking, and cussing. Praise God. You, you know. But we see what the Lord thinks about self-motivated changes in external behaviors, right? Who's got Ezekiel 33, 13? I gave all y'all all that notice and nobody, okay. Sister Linda's got it, all right, all right. It says, if I tell the righteous man, sorry. Ugh, I lost my place with my glasses on. I'm sorry, y'all. I have it, I can't read it. Okay, he says, if I tell the righteous man, where am I at? Okay, it says, if I tell the righteous man of his former righteousness, wait a minute, if I tell the righteous man that he will surely live, but then he trusts in his 
in his righteousness and does evil, none of the righteous things that he has done will be remembered. He will die for the evil he has done. Isn't that something right there? He's a righteous man, but apparently he gets, you know, you're right, self-righteous. And, 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 you know, stern word, he will be remembered no more. That's heavy stuff right there. I mean, you become obsolete, right? Who's got 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7? For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Now, that, that covers everything. Right? Getting hair done, losing weight, running the marathon. Uh, if the Lord removes his grace that allows us to take breath in, you'll never make it to the hair salon. Right? Uh, yeah, you're trying to make me say how I'm trying to. And lastly, John 15, 5. John, oh, right up here, bro. Right up here. Oh, well, no. Go ahead, Jake. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's what Jesus thinks about self-improvement and anything else that we attempt to do outside of his auspices. Now, the question is, do I, am I, with those four verses, am I landing on a hard no? I'm still not landing on a hard no because I make room for the common grace of God that allows us activity of limb, right? God, God and his common grace allows us, you know, I'm going to run to the store, honey. I'll be right back. Now, technically speaking, that's an audacious statement to say I'm going to run to the store, honey. I'll be right back. I mean, the nerve of me to presume that I can make it to the store and make it back outside of God's grace, right? You, you know, James would go far, so far as to tell us that. Right. Don't 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 say you're going to go into town, do business for a year, you know, and then come back. You, you know, better to say if the Lord wills, we'll go and do this or that. Right. And so he tries to give us a proper mindset. And nevertheless, that common grace does still exist. God rarely uh, puts our face in it so tough to make us realize you really can't do nothing without me. Right. You, you know, I mean, he's done a few people like that. You, you know, in, in biblical history, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, was feeling a little high on himself. Like, okay, <laughs> let, me, let me give you some time to think about that and get real low, right? And, and so, uh, again, I still make room for the common grace that God gives us to allow us freedom of choice to do things. But, the, again, remember what started us down this path. It's not a bunny trail. The, the, what started us down this path is a mindset, Right. The mindset is what's most important here, because if I don't have a proper mindset, it's just a matter of time before I find myself off the tracks. Right. And so our mindset as Christians has got to be so narrowly focused on Christ that I do begin to take mundane things and think of them spiritually. Right. You know, it's hard for me to pray about what I should grocery shop for, right? Because I just don't think about it, you, you, you know. Now, I, I know that there's some people way more spiritual than me who probably think, Lord, you know, what should, we, what should be on the list today, 
right? You, you know, we need this, we need that. You may be saying, Pastor, it really doesn't take all that. And I'm not saying, I don't, I don't want us to walk out of here in a pharisaical kind of way because I'm not so concerned about the minutia of our lives as I am about exactly how far do you give God room to navigate your life even in mundane ways, right? You, you know, how, how far? I mean, if God tells you, I know you normally shop at Meijer, but I want you to go to Walmart today. And I'm saying, well, Lord, you know we always shop at Meijer. I got the coupons. I got the, my Meijer app, you know, to get the, I, I got $4 coming off, you know, and plus I like their cereal over there, and I know exactly where everything's at. I mean, you, you know, who would ever have such a conversation with, with God, right? You know, who would ever even think that God would care about where I shopped at? And, and see, that, that's, that's the danger, though. Because I think about shopping as only something I do to satisfy my immediate needs for my household. Right? But shopping don't have to just be about my immediate needs for my household. What if God has an intersection planned for me with somebody I never met in aisle four in, in, in Walmart that otherwise we'd never meet? Right? You, you know, and like, and so I might have to be obedient in in what somebody might consider just a, a stupid mundane thing, and I'm not even listening for the Holy Spirit in that area. Like, okay, I'm gonna listen to the Holy Spirit. Lord, make sure you help me understand this verse. Lord, give me words for your people. Lord, help me minister right. Help me sing right. Help me do whatever. Help me love my wife, parent my sons, do a great job on my job, right? And, and that's pretty much the box that I've created. I think it's a pretty big box, and I'm spiritual because I've asked God to get into my work life, my marriage, my parenthood, my church life. And it helped me be a good neighbor. State Farm is there, right? You, you know, and I'm thinking, man, I am spiritual because I've involved God in all these major areas of my life. And wow, you mean God might actually want to tell me where to take my car to get it fixed or what, where to go grocery shop or, you know, I know you usually let him cut your hair, but today let him cut your hair. God, no, you don't mess with my barber. You don't mess with my hairdresser, God, no. Right? I mean, you know, would God do something like that? Yeah. Mm. Has God ever diverted somebody from a simple plan, an ordinary day? Do you find it anywhere in Scripture where somebody was just going to do something mundane and go here? And God said, no, go there. And that made the difference in somebody. Can you imagine if Philip had to say after preaching a great revival where lots of people got saved? What's next, Lord? What's the next big town we going into? Now I just need you to go over here, kick it with this one brother. We mean, Lord, but no, we, uh, we just saw a mighty move of God. Surely there's a mightier move of God for more people elsewhere. You want me to go talk to one brother? Can I send Eli, you know, to go talk to that one brother? I mean, he's still young in the ministry and all that. I mean, perfect for that assignment. Well, I got to break from preaching in front of thousands to go and kick it with one, one, one brother. Right? I mean, it's... it's it's a dangerous mindset. It's insidious how, how dangerous the mindset is because we don't even notice that the water is getting warmer, right? When we, when we just do our lives and not think about it. Now, I got to leave it there and I got to let you and the Holy Spirit figure out where you got to grocery shop and where you got to get your hair done and all of that. I don't come ask me, well, what do you got for me, Pastor Flynn? I ain't got nothing for you, right? All, all I got is that we need to be mindful about our mindset concerning where we, uh, or what we allow God to speak to us in, right? So that we don't end up like these folks. 
When we are outside of his plans and purposes, we are engaged in the world's most monumental waste of time and energy, all of which will inevitably be, we will inevitably be judged for. Right? Whenever we're outside of his plans and purposes, no matter how big or how small. All right, you guys with me? Now, uh, you got homework there. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15 uh, when you get home. All right, for more on that, because again, there's judgment that comes to the life of the believer for everything that we do. And judgment don't mean a bad thing, because for some things I'm judging, great job, out of boy, good job, son. Here's something for you. For other things, not so good, son. You know, you lost something there, right? And so uh, judgment's not a bad thing. Now, before we head back to our text, let's take a final look at one more scripture to uh, put this matter of Christian self-empowerment to bed. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'll read that one for sake of time there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Notice what it says here. You guys with me? All right. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every way the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember, as we consider our origin story, Jesus is both the initiator of it and the concluder of it and responsible for all things in between. Right? Our job is simply to be obedient along the path. He starts it. He finishes it. Right? You, you know, because I can't glorify myself. Right? So he's got to handle that. So he handles justification. He handles sanctification. He handles glorification. Right? So he's in charge of the entire process, none of which he has left directly to us. Right? And so this is what we have to remember. Now, we go back to our text and we go on to verse 4. Notice what Paul says as he goes to the next question. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Right? This is an interesting verse because the words that are used are not words. That they don't mean what they seem in English. Chiefly among them, suffer. Here, this word speaks in a good sense. Now, I know what you're thinking because you're thinking like I was thinking. That these folks went through some tough circumstances and Paul is hearkening them back to the tough circumstances that they went through, all right? And he's asking them, did you go through all that tough circumstances in vain? Because that's how it reads in English. And that's immediately what I think we think. But that's not what it means at all, right? Uh, here he speaks in a good sense of pleasant experiences. The Christian Standard Bible uh, says this verse like this. Did you experience so much for nothing if, in fact, it was for nothing? Right, is the way that translation reads, right? He says, was it all in vain? Was it all without success or effect? Now, the question has to be asked, do we know what particular experiences Paul is speaking of, right? Um, and the answer is we may not know particularly, right? It could be that their experiences back in Acts chapter 11, or it could be something unmentioned in Scripture that both they and Paul had shared knowledge of. Ultimately, I cannot state conclusively what these experiences were. I'm sorry. 
Couldn't find it. I don't think it's stated anywhere. We are left, not left clueless, however. All right? There are those in Scripture who have done what Paul is trying to prevent these folks from doing. Right? Check out Hebrews chapter 6 right quick. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. And we'll stay in Hebrews and go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 35. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Let's turn there. All right? Uh, when you get there, somebody uh, read that one for us. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. And then somebody else grab Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 35. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. Go. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. All right, so keep, keep, that, keep those verses on the sticky side of your mind. That, that passage describes pleasant things, pleasant experiences, right? You know, tasted, seeing that God was good, right? And so we see that right there. Who's got chapter 10, verses 32 to 35? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 35. Who's got that? All right. Uh, Ron, my, honey? But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so, retreat, so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. So we see here in both of these scenarios, that one has both good and bad in it, all right? The other one was, all, was an all-good type of experience. And the question uh, has to be, was it all for nothing, right? You know, why does God give us good experiences, right? You know, certainly we would all crave good experiences, but why does God allow us to experience good things, high points in ministry, right? You know, moves of God where we see him do great and mighty things. Why, why does he allow us to experience such things uh, only to have us squander them. If I, if I take it back Old Testament style, think about what the children of Israel saw. All of these wonderfully powerful uh, expressions of God's power, good thing after good thing, you know, uh, manna and quail and pillar of fire and pillar of cloud and splitting seas and vanquishing opponents and all of that, all great stuff, and yet they still murmured and complained. Uh, not because it was so bad. It was all good, but it wasn't good enough. You, you, you know, is, is what we saw there. And so as we think about what Paul is saying as we head back to Galatians, did you uh, experience all of this stuff that you've experienced in vain? Did you experience perhaps uh, that, that powerful mood of the Spirit that got you into the family? Right? Not did you experience it, but... Was that powerful move in the spirit that you experienced and now you walk, you're walking away from that? Are you trying to go back to law? Right? Did you experience that great thing in vain? Right? It is what I believe Paul is, is saying here by virtue of what this word, word means. And that really, uh, for me, it was like, wow, 
God, you know, so often we condition ourselves to think about bad stuff happening and people responding poorly to bad stuff happening. But quite often, good stuff happens and people respond poorly to good stuff happening. Right? You know, we can walk away from God probably more quickly from things being too swell. Right? You know, the, the proverb writer says, Lord, don't bless me too much or else I forget you. Right? Don't bless me too little or else I sin and, and bring shame to your name. Give me just, just enough. Right? You, you know, daily bread, Jesus would say. Right? Give me just enough. Keep, keep me on the tracks. Because too bad can take me off the tracks. Too good can take me off the tracks. And we're wondering why God ain't sent Ed McMahon to our house with the publisher's clearinghouse millions. Right, because some of us be like, you know what, praise, praise God. We would say it, praise God. Here's, you know, some money, Pastor. I'm going to be in uh, Cancun this weekend and next weekend. You know, and then the week after that, you know, the wife always wanted to go to Egypt, so I got to take her to Egypt. You, you, you know, it's a great season for that. Uh, you know, Meg, you teach Bible study. We, oh, we, we went down to Bermuda, you, you, you know, because uh, I mean, God is good. He blessed us, you, you know, and it's just some stuff. You, you know, um, I might even take my mom on a trip too. Ma, come on. You know, let's go to Disney World, too. You know, whatever. I ain't going to Disney. But anyway, right, you, you know, uh, it, all because all of a sudden God blessed me. And now I can do some stuff that I might have always wanted to do that might interfere with his call on my life for a particular season. And I might decide to start planning my own life and my own seasons. Like, you know, okay, y'all, we can't do Bible study in, in August. That's my, my anniversary month. You, you, you know, and so we're going to be traveling, you know. I, 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 did I pray about that? Did I, did I ask God if it would be cool to take a month off to do that? Or did I just decide? Because now I have the means to make such a decision, right? You, you know, we, we, we put God in the back seat quicker than you know, you, you know. And so a lot of us, he keep us broke because, you know, that's right where, you know, Lord, Lord you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it to this gas station, Lord, if it ain't, it's me and you, Jesus, you know, and he let us make it to the gas station and we get just enough gas to make it to the next gas station. <laughs> and all the way, it's me and you, Jesus. You, you know, as soon as he gives you enough to make it to gas stations, you're taking detours like you got a full tank. Right? You, you know, anyway, let's keep it moving. Right? Um, so, so Paul is, is trying to get at the mindset of these people. And again, Paul waits for no answer to be given as he asks his sixth and final question of this section of our outline. Be sure to pay attention to this last question. We go on to verse 5. All right, you guys with me? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, I want to ask you guys, and just, I want to zoom in right here, ask you guys an observational question. What do you notice about this question that's different from all the other questions? What do you notice that's different about this question? You may have to go back and read all the way from verse 1 through 1 through 5. What do you notice that's different about this question, honey? I hadn't looked back at first, but I just assumed that he was talking to them directly, asking them about them. Then he switched it to he. So he switched it to he who? Uh, I believe it's the Lord. All right. And ding, ding, ding. Right? She is absolutely right. Of the six questions, five are asked directly to them about them, right, in their experience. Personal questions, we might say. Right? Right? Uh, you know, that sixth question, he doesn't ask them about them, their personal experience. 
He asked them about God, right? So, so we have to pay attention when we see a shift like that, right? Uh, you know, is this significant? If so, why do you think? Uh, I, I think it's significant. Well, let me see. So y'all seen it now, right? Do you, do you think it's significant beyond the fact that I have used time to actually t- make you notice it? All right, beyond that, is there some significance to what Paul is up to as he asks five questions that are personal and one question that deals with their understanding of God? Is there some significance? All right. Oh, Eli, you get to, you know, um, participate if you want to. You usually chime in. No thoughts? No thoughts? Oh, I missed the hand. Who? Oh, okay. So the question, uh, is, this, is this fact that we've just noticed that we got six questions, five of them are asked in this way, one of them asked dramatically different, a whole different focal point, right? Is this significant? And if so, why is it significant, right? Why do you think so? All right, got a, got a hand up here, bro. Right here. Um, I'm going to say yes, it is significant, and I believe it's significant because it's like, okay, I'm giving you time to reflect on where you came from, now I need you to reflect on what you've experienced through God, like, who you know God as, Mm -hmm. like, he has ministered the whole, where did you get the Holy Spirit from? It came from him, Mm -hmm. and you've seen him do these miracles, like, 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 duh. How could you be talking about a law and right. you've seen all this greatness? Like, why are these even in this? What is going on here? Okay, like, okay. I feel like it's like All right, all right, all right. Any other thoughts? All right, Ron? When I read this, it's almost like Paul was saying, okay, if you don't get it by me using you as an example, let me just use the great God of the universe to see if you get it. Okay. Like, does it does it apply even to him? Does can your logic apply to he who gave you the spirit? Like, okay. how does that work? Okay. All right. All right. All right. Any anybody else? Anybody else? It's good stuff. Good stuff. All right. It, it, my my thought was it, it it is significant because for me it highlighted what Paul was talking about, right? You you know. So for me it's a capstone moment, and namely, what's he talking about? He's talking about the fact that we are not products of our own making, but of God's intervening in our lives to save us, right? This is, this is what Paul is talking about. We are not products of our own making. And, and the, the whole legal exercise is about being a product of one's own making, right? I, I can do it, and if I do it, I'll earn this privilege, right? It'll be about me and, and my efforts to, to do a certain thing for a certain period of time in a consistent manner, right? And, and, and so Paul, as Paul asked this question, right, you, you know, he, he hearkens to, or refocuses their attention. Look at God. Why did God give you the spirit? Did he give you the spirit because he said, he came along and said, that, what a group of people. Man, I have been noticing y'all work. You guys are really throwing down. Here, let me bless you. Right? Is that, is that what we see? Do we see that anywhere? Abraham, in the Ur of the Chaldees, he pops down on the scene. Abraham, I really see what you're doing, dog, and I'm really liking it here. 
I choose you because you are a standout. I mean, you're like a first-round draft pick, bro. You, you, you know, and I can make it happen. I can build my whole kingdom uh, through you because you was really doing your thing, right? That, that's not how he comes to, to Abraham. Paul, man, you know, I really appreciate your sincerity, your zeal. I can really do something with you. Uh, let me just, we got to tweak a little bit, you know, and I'm going to let you write two-thirds of the New Testament because uh, I, I really just appreciate your, 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 uh, your, your work, your effort, right, your, your zeal, right? It's, all, it's a little misplaced, but we can fix that, right? I can work with that, right? I, I, that's not what we see, right? I, I, anywhere in, in Scripture, we don't see God saying, wow, you guys are really doing it. And, and I recognize that. And here, let's just let me bless you. It's, it's often quite opposite. He finds us, uh, how does the psalmist put it, in a horrible pit in the miry clay. He set my feet up on a rock. You, you know, now that I was down there in the horrible pit, like, I see you doing it down there in the pit. You're really trying hard to get out the pit. Let me just give you a leg up, you, you know, and, and help you out. Now, that's, you know, we was enjoying the pit, right? You, you know, is what we see here. So, uh, uh this is what I would argue as we wrap up verse 5 here. Now, some key words here. Let's see. Uh, he says, does he who supplieth or to, to furnish uh, the spirit, right, is, is what he says here uh, to you to work miracles among you, right? Now, here this, this miracles refers to uh, the power of performing miracles. And so, again, God's power on, on display, uh, works, we see is this is the same works from chapter 2, verse 16, right? Hearing here, again, hearing and faith. Every time we see it in this chapter, it's the same couplet, right? This, this oral instruction, uh, this faith in, in Christ as Messiah, all right? This, this, is, this is what Paul is saying every time as he asks them this final question. How does God work, right? You know, do you know how God works? Does God work on a merit system? All right, by virtue of salvation, is salvation on a merit system? Absolutely not, right? And so he wants them to remember this because as Pastor Fons told us on Sunday, you know, the same thing that got us in is the thing that takes us through. It was faith that got us in, and it's faith in Christ to work out through us, right? He's the author and the finisher. He takes us through, right, that, 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 that finishes this process. Now, this is a fascinating verse couplet. Verse 5 and verse 6 really go together, all right, here, because it seems that he asks and answers the question in the same breath, right? Notice what he says in verse 6 as we, as we go there. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's how the question ends, right? He's, that's one long question. But I believe he gives the answer inside the question, right? Uh, that takes us to the next part of our outline. All right, where we see Abraham being justified by faith, not by works. He says, Abraham believed God. Believed here means to trust, right? And it was reckoned, all right? We talked, he, Pastor Fons told us that's an accounting term. It means here to be something, i.e. as availing for or equivalent to something, as having a like force or weight, right? And so uh, what, what are you saying? He's saying Abraham believed God and God equated that to something. God equated that to something, right? Now, only God can do that. You or I can't do that. Now, that's the problem, is that we equate a certain level of righteousness, a certain look, a certain clothing style, a certain taste in music, a certain set of habits. We equate those with righteousness, 
right? You know, based on our own scale, my denominational scale, my personal scale, whatever scale I happen to be using, wherever I got it from, it's a scale that I happen to use, and I might even think it's being biblical, right? You know, it says, God accounted this as righteousness. Do I know why? No. Do I know how? No. All I know is that God made a sovereign choice that this thing that he just evidenced, this faith he just placed in believing, me telling him something impossible, I'm going to count that as righteous. Right? It's the same level of autonomy that a teacher has when given extra credit to say, uh, that's worth extra credit, that's not. But why? Because I said so. Right? You, you know, I'm, not, I'm, I'm under no obligation to give you extra credit. Right? It's strictly based on my, my own sovereignty in a limited context as a teacher. Right? The, the school district does not mandate that I give anybody extra credit. Right? That has to come from the graciousness in my heart for the poor, pitiful plight of my children where they are to give them an extra credit assignment. Right? If I never did it, nobody could say you're a horrible teacher for not doing that. Oh, really? On what basis? Right? I've satisfied the demands of my contract. Right? You, you know, I'm not required at all to do it. God was not required at all to say, Abraham, you in. Just because just of that right there, you in. That's what faith looks like. I'm going to count that as righteousness. Right? So, so God does this divine accounting, as it were, and equates this thing with righteousness, this state ex- acceptable to God, uh, which becomes a sinner's possession through that faith by which he embraces the grace of God offered him in the, the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. In this case, it is so taken into account that righteousness is ascribed to it or recognized in it. Again, God does this work. This is all in the mind of God that God issues this, uh, this statement that we have to take as fact by faith that faith equals righteousness. Right, because I, you, you know, faith in God does not have to equal righteousness. It could just equal common sense. God could have said, you know, that's really smart of you. And he would have been right. It is smart. It's wise to trust God. But he didn't say that was really smart of you. He said, I'm going to count that as righteousness. You cool with me now, based on, based on that. This is, this is what God does, right? Nobody else can do that. Uh, you, you know, and, and so it's, it's a singular, unique act of God in doing that. Now, again, let's pause here for a moment, and we're running out of moments to pause, and, and let what Paul just said sink in, all right? For me, this was a, a moment that we really need to just let that marinate for a minute, because did, did you catch that Paul used as his illustration of supplying the Spirit and working of miracles the belief of Abraham and his being reckoned as righteous? Did you catch that, right? Again, let me say it a bit more slowly. Paul used the illustration, right? His illustration was of uh, the supplying of the Spirit and the working of miracles. That's what we saw at the beginning of verse 5, right? Everybody seeing it? You're right there with me, right? He, uh, he used this illustration to, to illustrate the belief of Abraham and his being reckoned as righteous. Now, not going to shout the mic around on that one. I just want us to think about that because we might normally fly by on this. But consider what he didn't use, right? So 
Yeah, and I think it'll, it'll sink on in as I tell you what he didn't use. He, he didn't use that Joshua believed and the sun stopped. He didn't use that the three Hebrew boys believed and the fire didn't burn. He didn't use that Elijah believed and it didn't rain for three years. All of these were evidences where a, a man put faith in God to do something miraculous or men put faith in God to do something that couldn't be done otherwise, right? So, so we see what I would argue equal instances of faith in God to accomplish something that is not doable under human strength, right? But none of those get accounted as righteous, right? You, you know, and so again, we go back, okay, Paul, why, why did you use the giving of the Holy Spirit, the working of miracles as an illustration of Abraham believing and this being accounted as righteous? You know, lots of us are praying and waiting for God to do some miraculous things. Anybody praying, that, you know, for some big things from God? Right, right. You, you know, and I, it's great. I hope you I hope that you are. But I argue based on this text that God's biggest miracle. All right. And here's where I'm hoping that, that like, wow, uh, that his biggest miracle is not stopping sun or fire or rain. Right. That, that, that's not his biggest miracle. His biggest miracle, I argue, based on this text is what he does in us. Right. Especially in making us right before him. I don't know if we fully appreciate it. I don't know if I've appreciated it as much in, the, in our preparation for the tonight as I have ever before in my life. Do we appreciate what God had to do to make us right before him? The, the, the scope of that miracle, right? Because think about it. God created the sun, the rain, fire, all that stuff. And so simply having the sun stop still, stand still, while for us is like a cosmological miracle, like, my God, you stopped a star from rotating. In my mind, that's like humongously big. Like, you got to be an all-powerful God. I can just imagine that God put the sun in a chokehold and said, no, stop. And the sun was fighting back. He's like, no, stop, right? And, and like, God had to flex a little to stop the sun, right? Or for him to suspend, you know, the hydrologic cycle so that it didn't rain in the area for three years, like, just keep the wind blowing and don't let it come in. I mean, in my mind, that takes awesome, incredible power to tell fire, don't burn my boys because fire can't help but do what it do because that's its nature, right? Uh, so in my mind, that stuff takes awesome power by God. Like he's really showing off. But apparently in Paul's mind, it takes more awesome power to transform any of us from a state of death into life than it does to stop a star to stop rain, to stop fire from doing what fire does, right? And, and that blows my mind to think about that, y'all. And I hope that it begins to just blow your mind just a little bit what God had to do to take me from being a sinner into being a son. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling, and I don't know that I have words to give y'all to take us there to, to fully try to wrap your mind around it, right? So I'm limited in, in my skill and ability uh, to give it to you. But man, out of all the stuff that, that he could have mentioned, where God is really showing off in human sight, he says, God gave you the spirit, you, you know, and, 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 you know, saved you. And 
just like Abraham, right? Like, you know, I wasn't particularly impressed with Abraham's display of faith and God didn't do nothing super awesome or miraculous in that moment with Abraham. I mean, all he did was walk through and walk through the dead animals and seal the covenant. And I mean, that was, you know, la, 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 la. You, you know, I mean, it's not climactic. It's not movie worthy. It's not da-da-da, music and lights and sound. It's not any of that stuff. And, and yet, apparently, it's way more than all that other stuff. It's like, man, you know. Uh, anyway, we're running out of time, y'all. Uh, whew, goodness. You, you know, there, there's more I can say on this, but we got to move on. As we do, Paul makes some really big connections to arguably the most important person in the Old Testament, uh, which would be Abraham. Going to verse 7, he says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Right? Know here means to understand. Again, faith. Uh, here it describes obedience rendered to faith and depending on faith, right? Sons here is used metaphorically. It applies to those who by their faith in Christ are akin to Abraham. So we start singing, Father Abraham has many sons, many sons of Father Abraham, right? This is where we, we get it from, right? He is the, the father, if you would, uh, of faith, right? Because we see what, what he did there. Uh, as we go into verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed, right? So we see some interesting words here. Uh, scripture literally denotes a book or scroll, all right, the contents in it, right? Uh, foreseeing literally means that, to foresee, right? Um, justify here, he says, foreseeing that God would justify. Here, uh, it literally means, in a technical sense, God, respecting God who judges and declares such men as put faith in Christ to be righteous. A declaration of righteousness, uh, making somebody acceptable to him, right? And fit to receive pardon of, of, their, of our sins and eternal life, right? He says, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles. Right. This is heavy stuff that the scriptures foresaw this long before there was a New Testament, long before there was a Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. The scriptures uh, foresaw this. It says preach the gospel beforehand, which literally means to announce the promise of glad tidings beforehand. Right. That they would be blessed. They would be conferred benefits upon. Right. He goes on. He says in verse nine. So then. Those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Faith here, same as verse 7. Blessed here, cause to prosper, right? To bestow blessings upon, to make happy, all right? Uh, faith here. Faith here, uh, different word. The same English, different Greek. All right, this word here. This word means easily persuaded, believing, confiding, or trusting, all right? And in the New Testament, it speaks of one who trusts in God's promises, right? If I ask you how you know you're going to heaven, your only answer can be that I believe what the scriptures say. Because you have no empirical evidence that heaven exists or that you're on the way there. It's not something we can prove by the scientific method. And so as Christians... We, we exercise this type of faith that we are trusting in the promise of God that, that 
uh, you know, we'll, he'll come back, John 14, all right, to get us, right? And, and so sure we ever be with him, right? We, we trust in that. Right now, it's not a blind, stupid faith. It's a, a faith play, based on the evidence that he has left us, right? But the faith, the, the evidence that he has left us is never enough mathematically to make the leap from over here to way over here. It's not enough, right? So we, we would never be able to do the equation to get us from over here to over here. No such equation exists. It's going to take a level of, God, you've given me enough evidence to plop down in your chair and know that it's going to hold my weight. Right? Ma? Yo, Eli. It powers off automatically to save the battery. Was it one act or several acts that God saw in Abraham? For instance, he said, get up, leave your parents and your family and go. He said, take your son, your only son, up on the mountain, get some wood and a donkey. Was it, it was several different things that he told Abraham to do. Right. Was it a combination of all those that God declared him righteous or was it one particular instance? Good question. I don't know that I, I got a, a, a great answer for that. My, my, my sense is that it's the final act. Uh, you know, the, the little ones leading up to the big one. Uh, you know, give me your son, your only son. Uh, you, you know, that, you know, because he says, now I know. Right? Is what, is what the father says. Now I know. Right? You know, so God didn't know when he, when he left home. Uh, he didn't know when he started traveling and went here or there. You know, he waits until after the, the final to say, now I know. So, you know, maybe God in his grace gave him some, some small tests, you know, to, to warm him up, <laughs> if you will, for the big one, uh, which in no way actually warms him up or prepares. What can prepare you to sacrifice your only child, right? You, you know, so I would make the argument, uh, although not dogmatically, that it's the last one, right? You know, just based on the way the verse is constructed and the, the father's response, right, you, you know, uh, to that. Linda? Hold on, hold on. All right, we're going to end up stopping here because we only got a couple minutes left, and that's okay. I'm just trying to remember the chronological order in which God said that to Abraham because wasn't it after he made the promise to Abraham, he said that um, because Abraham believed him, then he counted it as righteousness, but all of this took place before he even did the other things. Yes, you are absolutely right. So... Uh, it wouldn't have been the sacrifice scene. It would have been, uh, you about that, you're going to have a son. You, you, you know, and out of him, all the nations of the earth is going to be blessed. Uh, that, so, so before there's any evidence, any sight of anything, uh, is where we see the declaration happen. You're absolutely right, uh, Linda, on that one. And so in that sense, that, that's the one we got to park on because that's the, the, the proper order of events uh, on that one. Kim? So in light of that, what Ms. Linda just said about, it was really, and then Paul's talking about this, when he, he takes them back to, you know, talking to them about God. Mm -hmm. And it seems like God is always trying to get us through the scriptures to believe him. 
and and that's what he counted as righteous mm-hmm. Abraham. But it's the same thing I think with us. It's like, you know, without faith, it is impossible to that's please right. him. That's right. And so I think that's the that's the point. That's the gist of it. It's like it comes down to faith and belief. That's what God counts as righteous. Yes, and that that's the he's he's going he's going a long way around the block because they've gotten bewitched. You, you know, so he couldn't just drop them, you know, six word uh, sentence. Uh, put your faith in Christ, you fool. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, you know, end of chapter. Uh, you, you know, so he, he's got I me. Mean, sometimes you got to labor with folks and he labors with them. Uh, you, you know, and, and that's that's the, that's the grace of God. We can get ourselves pretty twisted up and somebody got to come and try and untangle spaghetti. You, you, you know, uh, that, that's not an easy process, as you as you well know. Uh, you know, I know several saints that, you know, I would love to be able to sit down for weeks at a time with and help them, you know, un, uh, remember what they learned, forget this new stuff that they learned, they clouded what they actually learned. And, they, and you, you know, that's, that's, that's a really tough thing. Uh, and it's not something we can necessarily do in human effort and ingenuity. God uses us. He uses human effort and ingenuity. But all, we're always praying that the Holy Spirit would enlighten their minds, that he would open blinded eyes. That's the function of the Holy Spirit. Now, we got to wrap it up here. We don't have a lot of questions next week. I'll try. I will try. That's all I can tell you. There's a lot more here uh, in these next four or five verses. It's really good stuff. It's really, it's really good stuff that, that we see. I mean, the ultimate uh, you know, goal of what Paul is trying to do is to get them to realize the, the, uh, the dark nature of trying to be a law keeper. All right. That, that, you know, I'm trying to realize, help them to realize that God never intended you to try to use this thing the way you're using it. Right. It, it had a definitive purpose and a, def- a definite end in the mind of God. And for us to drag it beyond its scope and purpose is to uh, do some pretty horrendous stuff, you, you know, and to, uh, even as we saw last time, to devalue who Christ is and what he did and what it means, right? So that's kind of some summary stuff on this half of it. Uh, so, you know, same bad time, same bad channel. We're going to close up uh, in prayer. I hope that you guys got something. I hope it was not too, you know, uh, fly over your head and, you, you know, with my, uh, my wonder and awe uh, in, in the scriptures, but I hope my passion can be some of what uh, fires yours uh, as, we, as we go through the text. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we bless your name. We thank you for this time uh, in your word on tonight. We thank you, God, for what you gave Paul to give to the Galatians, God, and eventually to make its way to us. Uh, Lord, I, I pray, O oh Holy Spirit, that you would be the after teacher, that you would use my meager words, O oh God, and that you would empower them by your spirit, God, to bring about in your people uh, the fruit that you uh, would desire in each one of them. I pray, God, that we would all marvel and awe at just how great you are and the great work that you did in saving us. Far more than it took to stop the sun or rain or fire, uh, God, was your effort to save us. So great is your love uh, that you would undertake such an effort, oh God, and that you continue even with us in the sanctifying process. Uh, Lord, just just, uh, help us, Lord, keep our trains on the tracks. 
that we wouldn't veer uh, left or right, that we wouldn't uh, make any room for the flesh, uh, Lord, that we wouldn't allow it to uh, veer us off, not even to the slightest degree. And now, Lord, as we dismiss, I pray that you would dismiss us with your grace, that you would take us safely to our home or next destination. If you should decide to tarry for another week, bring us back together again at the appointed time that we might once more search the scriptures to see if those things are so. Do bless us and keep us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.